today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. As Paul is writing in the first century to slaves and masters, we fast forward it to the 21st century. Would the words be similar to this? If you are employed by a company and get a regular paycheck from them, you need to count your employer worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Let me stop right there. Just in life and experience, how many times have we heard others or perhaps ourselves, speak poorly about the one that we receive a paycheck from every week. And yet Paul is saying, no, you honor them for the glory of Christ. How often do we hear people speaking poorly about their employers or managers? In today's message from Pastor David, he teaches us that just as Paul was encouraging the slaves to honor their masters, so today should employees honor their employers. Everything we do should be done to honor Christ and bring glory to His name. As Christian believers, by honoring our employers, we are bringing honor and glory to Christ. Remember, as you go to work today, that you are serving Christ. Now here's Pastor David with part one of his message, Contented Slaves. We invite you to turn, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at actually the first 12 verses this morning. But if you'd follow with me, I'm going to begin reading just uh, the first couple of verses. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul writing to Timothy, who is the pastor or the, the leader over the church or churches of Ephesus. He writes, let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine might not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. We read a passage like this, and sometimes we kind of skip right over it and move on, but There's no doubt within the hearts and the minds of those that are serious Bible students, those that are theologians, those that that, that truly study the Word of God, there's no doubt that in their minds that Paul is speaking about the actions and the attitudes that are those that are actually slaves in the Roman Empire. That again, they, they are the ones that are under the yoke or under the bondage, under the correction, the leadership of those that they would call masters. We use the name Lord as we speak of Jesus, but that is a common title that the slave would also give to his master, Lord. 
because again of the authority and the power that the master would have over the slave. There was a lot of slaves during the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, uh, we, we look at that now and it's hard for us to understand that. It's hard for us to even comprehend that idea of slavery within our culture, but within the Roman Empire. Prior to the first century, there were some times that the number of slaves was all the way up to about 90% of the population being slaves. We can't even fathom that. During the time of uh, Paul's writing here, it's speculated by historians and those that check those kind of things, that at least still two-thirds of the population were slaves. They were under the bondage of another human being. We look at this, and it's, again, the, the difficulty of all of that concept within our own minds. But in the midst of being a slave, in the midst of that culture that's there, many of those slaves were coming to a saving knowledge of Christ. Not only were the slaves coming to a knowledge of Christ, but many of the masters were coming to a saving knowledge of Christ. Now, let your mind think on that for a little bit you're at church, you're a slave, you've got a few hours off, you're coming into the fellowship of believers together to worship the Lord, to hear the teaching of the word of the Lord, and in and comes your master and sits right next to you. Let that run through your brain for a little bit. How do you respond to that? How do you react to that? This is what Paul is dealing with here as he comes and shares these things with Timothy. You who have, you've come in to worship the one who has set you free and in comes the one who owns you. The spiritual reality and the physical truth, both happening at the same time. If you don't think that that caused a little bit of uneasiness and and possibilities of of problems within the fellowship of believers, then again, you haven't thought on that very long or, or you just don't understand human nature. Now, within the same fellowship of believers were both master and slave, owner and the one who owned them. Slavery in the earlier years of our country, absolutely horrendous, atrocious, the, the, the embarrassment of our country and the mistreatment of, of a whole population of people. There, there's no doubt about the, the evilness of slavery within our country. But I want to tell you this morning, it was different. And I'm not saying it was that much better, but it was different in the Roman culture because it just wasn't one class of people. It was across the board in the Roman culture at that point in time. So I want you to listen this morning. I want you to keep an open mind and take in all that I'm gonna be sharing today in order that we together might get that fullest understanding of the scripture that Paul is writing here to Timothy there as he is shepherding the flock there in Ephesus. Paul, as well as the apostle Peter, he actually dealt with this issue of slavery through several of his writings. Paul told the the Corinthian church, and I invite you this morning, I'll I'll give you an opportunity to go there because I want you to see it yourself. So if you've got your Bibles, turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's not an easy subject, but Paul dealt with it head on. We want to look at it this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, down in verse 20, Paul writes to the church there in Corinth, and he declares, let each one of you remain in the same calling in which he is called. Were you called while you were a slave? Well, then don't be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, well, yeah, rather use that. 
that he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. If you're thinking as a slave, that's a difficult thing. If you're thinking, uh, again, in the situation of your own life, and yet you get these words, no, you, you stay as you're called. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Turn there, if you would, the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6. As a matter of fact, Ephesus is the church that Timothy is now pastoring. And the book of Ephesians, written to them to deal with issues within the church. And in chapter 6, Paul hits this situation of slaves head on. Chapter 6, down in verse 5, he says, bond servants, the word he uses there is doulos or slave. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants or slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Keep going to the right to the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter three, Paul writes almost an identical thing that he wrote to the church there in Ephesus. Colossians chapter 3, down in verse 22. Again, he uses that word doulos or bondservants or slave. He says, bondservants, obey all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus or the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And then we get to Paul's letter to Philemon, a, a book that deals 100% with the issue of a slave that had run away and had come to Christ. And now Paul is sending him back into slavery, back to the ownership of Philemon. But as he writes Philemon, he tells him, you receive him, yeah, he is your slave, but you also receive him as your brother. How does that all work? How does, how does that situation mesh together? That's, man, that's more than our brains can really comprehend. The apostle Peter writes to us in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, turn there if you would. Peter dealing with the same thing because, again, it is so real within the culture of Rome of the day. 1 Peter chapter 2, down in verse 18, he begins. Servants, and speaking there of slaves. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Let that sink in for a moment. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? 
But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Put yourself in the place of the slave. Hey, if they beat you, if they treat you wrongly, receive it and give glory to God. In our culture, we can't even comprehend that. What about my rights? What about, my, what, what, what about the fact that I did nothing wrong? Where's the legal end of all of this? You and I need to realize the legal end had nothing to do with it at that point in time in that culture. The rights of a slave were absolutely non-existent at that point in time, at that culture. Many of the individuals that, that Paul even wrote to there in, in that book of Ephesians that we looked at a while ago, he again shares with them the, the whole concept, this whole situation of, again, your life is in Christ. When he writes to the church in Rome, he addresses several within the church there in Rome. He speaks about two groups, that, one that he calls those of the household of Aristobulus, and the other is the household of Narcissus. And what he's speaking about there is, is not relatives of Aristobulus and, and Narcissus, but those that are the servants within those households. Those are household slaves during the time of Nero, during the time of the writing of the book of Romans. His epistle written from Rome to, to the church in Philippians. Again, that bears greeting to the saints of Caesar's household. Years ago, I, I would read that and think, oh, that, that, that's relatives of Caesar that are believers. No, the saints that are a part of Caesar's household were the servants serving there in the imperial palace of Caesar, converted slaves during that time. As I prepared for this, I came across an article by a fellow by the name of Mako Nakasawa. Mako Nakasawa, he's a Japanese-American, okay? But he's a director of New Humanity Institute. He's also an accomplished author in areas of Christian ethics, theology, biblical studies, and early church history. One of his many articles is Slavery and Christianity, first to the 15th centuries. And in that, he writes these words. Despite what some have taken to be Paul's naive endorsement of slavery, It was the Christian faith which led to the dismantling of slavery in Europe, bearing in mind that the earliest Christians had to navigate being in non-Christian households and societies and governments. That Christian ethics cannot be and were never simply translated into public policy. And that Christians were called by Jesus not to judge non-Christians or hold Christian ethics over non-Christians. Nevertheless, slavery ended in medieval Europe only because the church extended its sacraments to all slaves and then managed to impose a ban on the enslavement of Christians and also of Jews. Now, he continues on a little bit later, but in the same article, and he writes these words. Slaves of the Roman Empire came from military conquests, birth to slave parents, rescue from infanticide, international trade, piracy and kidnapping, penal servitude, and voluntary servitude. Many slaves would have been children or elderly without the means to live in freedom. 
from a practical standpoint alone, given the function of slavery in all of its forms and its magnitude, it would have been impossible for the Christian community to carry out a categorical command to emancipate the slaves. So what we understand from this, when we look both biblically, we look historically, we look culturally, socially, in every aspect of what was going on in the Roman Empire, we come to this understanding that Paul in no way condoned slavery, but he did understand that it was the law of the day, it was the culture of the day, and Christianity as a new birth, as a a new reality within that culture, was only beginning to make inroads within the culture itself. The importance of his writings on the subject, though, did help to show both the slave and the master how to live as true and honest representatives of Jesus Christ in the culture in which they found themselves in order that the name of God and his doctrine would not be blasphemed difficult thing. They're in a culture totally different than ours. We can't even imagine that. But the fact is, is they were in a situation, yeah, it was deplorable. So how do you live in that situation for the glory of Christ? See, we live in relative freedom in our day, in our culture. But there are those in the world even today that are under the same kind of oppression, if not worse, than what was going on in the first century. Is the gospel real to them also, or is it only to 21st century middle America to where there are not these kinds of struggles? Beloved, I submit to you this morning that the gospel is real, it is powerful, and it is effective whatever the culture, whatever the situation of life, whether you are slave or free, whether you are imprisoned, or rather, again, you have that freedom to be able to go wherever, whenever, that the gospel itself impacts the individual. The gospel itself was never intended to change the culture. It was intended to change the individual in whatever culture they lived in. That's why we can take the truth of God's word and bring it into developing countries and proclaim the same truth to them that I proclaim to you this morning. That's why we can take the gospel message and take it into oppressive cultures like a a North Korea or in a Middle Eastern world that is completely covered by Islam with absolutely no freedom. And we can speak the same truth of the gospel message to them as we do to you this morning. What Paul is saying is that the way that both the slave and the master live their life in the midst of the culture that they live was a clear declaration of the reality of Christ and the true hope of the gospel. How does that relate to you and I in the 21st century though? How does that speak to me? I'm, you know, I've never been in slavery. None of my family, so far as I know, has ever been in slavery. How do I deal with that today here? Well, there's a lot that look at these verses, and actually they find a common parallel here to what we know as the employee-employer relationship, some in good ways and some in bad ways. 
You can actually go back through nearly every one of these verses that we've just read, and we understand that the attitudes and the actions that are commended by both Peter and Paul can be and should be the very same attitudes today of employee and employer. Bear with me a moment as I run through a few of these that we just looked at. Here, the very passage that we're looking at this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to change a couple of words, but understand that the principle of the thing still works together. As Paul is writing in the first century to slaves and masters, we fast forward it to the 21st century. Would the words be similar to this? If you are employed by a company and get a regular paycheck from them, you need to count your employer worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Let me stop right there. Just in life and experience, how many times have we heard others or perhaps ourselves speak poorly about the one that we receive a paycheck from every week? And yet Paul is saying, no, you honor them for the glory of Christ. Not because they're worthy of the honor, not because they're due the honor, but for the glory of Christ so that the name of God is not blasphemed, so that the doctrines of God are not blasphemed. But he goes on, it's not just to the employee, verse two, he says, and those who have believing employers, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. Can you imagine as an employee, and this will be easier for most of us to imagine, an employee who is a believer, and you have an employer who is a believer. Let's think for a moment. In our, in, our, in our natural mind, we kind of expect a little better treatment from him, don't we? I mean, he's, he's a brother in Christ. How come he's talking to me that way? How come he's yelling at me? How come, how come he gave me that job? I'm his brother in Christ. We can get kind of that way, but what he's saying here is, man, don't despise them. Don't, don't, don't speak bad about them because they are your brother. No, understand, serve them. Because you know, as a brother or a sister in Christ, whoever the employer is, others are gonna be benefited from it. Let me quickly go through, look at the, or just think of the verse that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Paul tells him, let each one of you remain in the same calling in which he was called. Whether you were called while an employee, then don't be concerned about it. But if you can become self-employed, hey, go for it. So he gives that freedom, but at the same time, Employment or non-employment, that's not the issue. The culture isn't even the issue. It's how you live your life. It's the attitude of your life. Ephesians, employees, be obedient to those who are your employers, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is an employee or an employer. And you employers... Do the same thing to your employees, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also in heaven and there is no partiality with him. And realize again, what is our attitude in the situation that we find ourselves? What can the attitude be of those that find themselves in a much worse situation? Not giving credence to the situation, but understanding that our lives, no matter where we find our lives, beloved, the important thing is how we live our lives to the glory of Christ in whatever situation. Now let's get back to Timothy here, chapter six. Because again, here Paul 
kind of after he makes these statements, the first couple of verses, he now returns to the issue at hand. And the issue at hand actually is false teachers that were coming into that fellowship. He knew that Timothy was going to receive a lot of pushback from those that were proclaiming these false doctrines throughout the church and the impact that they were making within the church. And he wanted to assure Timothy that those that stood in opposition to the warnings that he had shared with him or the doctrine that he's been proclaiming through this message, he wanted to let Timothy know, no, you need to understand they are walking in rebellion against God and they are sinful in their actions. The book of 1 Timothy opens our eyes to the value God places on leadership. The Apostle Paul shares what we should be looking for in the church we attend and in those who lead. We too can learn from these teachings and apply them in areas where we're in leadership. We hope you've learned something valuable from today's message on The Open Word. We'd like to encourage you, if you haven't already, to find a local church that you can call home. Being a part of a faith community is essential for growing in your relationship with Jesus and offers you a place to share your unique gifts. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with a special invitation. I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com. Then follow the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. You'll also be able to get more information by calling 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Timothy right here on The Open Word.